Welcome back, everyone, to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down uh, supply chains for retailers and the data that, of course, moves them. I'm really excited today because we're gonna we're just gonna freight nerd out, okay? Uh, this is we're gonna hit a topic that I find really interesting and and really hidden when it comes to uh, overall media when it, uh, in regards to retail, freight tech, uh, and, and really M&A and investment within our space as well. And that is the area of patents, IP, intellectual property. One of the most amazing things about, of course, being an American or being in a democratic society is having the ability to uh, own your thoughts and own your uh, different ideas and ways of doing things. And when it comes to technology, we've had a really interesting, honestly, probably be, how old am I? Three to four decades now of time spent within patents and how patent law has performed and changed over time when it comes to technology as a whole. But I want to start, of course, in retail patents. Uh, we'll hit some freight tech patents in general, but want to focus first on the history of patents in retail. And one of my favorite historical patents to look into is, of course, the barcode in the invention of the barcode. Uh, it was invented and patented by Norman Joseph Woodland and Bernard Silver in 1951. And in order to get the patent and even be able to produce that type of a barcode or barcode analysis, you actually had to first invent the laser, which didn't come around until the 1960s. So after it was patented, they weren't able to actually create, create the system for about another decade. But of course, uh, Norman and Bernard wanted to make sure that their thought was uh, patented, patented, and if time came to start licensing it, uh, it was known that it was their idea. Uh, the first use case, actually, for the barcode started in the railroads. Uh, it was sponsored by the Association of American Railroads, and they would use it to uh, track all of their rail cars. Uh, the first actual concept of the barcode uh, was used at first by the Radio Corporation of America in a Kroger in Ohio. Now, this wasn't the modern day barcode that we'll get to in a second, they came in 1973. This was a type of barcode that was basically like um, a card or a physical piece of paper that um, grocery shoppers would go into a grocery store, into this Kroger, choose the items that they wanted. It's almost like reverse shopping. They give these cards to the, the merchants, the clerks, and say, hey, uh, these are the groceries I want. They would take those codes and the, um, the grocery clerks would go back, pick for the customers, and bring that back up to them. Almost like modern day uh, shipped or a grocery app that you see today. Uh, but of course, that took a lot of human labor. It wasn't incredibly helpful when it came to managing and, and how a grocery store was already managed. Uh, so of, of course, it needed to, that concept needed to grow and, and be changed. And that's when people at RCA and Radio Corporation of America found this patent by Woodland and Silver. Uh, and then they started working with lasers in order to actually put it uh, onto a physical code that could be scanned. And we're talking at a time where lasers uh, weren't existing at all whatsoever, right? They were just patented and created in 1960. So about 13 years later, uh, we finally were able to take that technology, uh, place that onto a uh, item 
and it was actually a circular barcode at first. Uh, if we can show that image really quick, it looks nothing like the barcode you see today. Uh, and it ended up changing because it was awfully difficult to print this type of barcode and fit it onto certain items um, and, and really just scale barcode system with that actual technology. So we end up switching it over to the modern day barcode that you're used to today that has the different zebra stripes lines. We'll get to that zebra aspect here in a moment. But uh, they were able to then produce those barcodes and in 1973, uh, or sorry, in 1974 on June 26th, at exactly 8.01 a.m., um, Marsh Supermarket in Troy, Ohio, scanned the first UPC purchase. Uh, and fun fact, that was actually Wrigley gum, specifically the juicy fruit. Uh, and it was a 10 pack of juicy fruit. And the purchaser actually said he chose that piece of gum because at the time, no one believed that this UPC code system would work. And he wanted to kind of push against it. And a lot of people said, the smaller the item, the harder it would be to implement. So the smallest thing he could find at the time was a pack of gum. So that was why it was the first thing that he ended up purchasing. Um, moving forward, uh, it was a success. And the Uniform Grocery Product Code Council decided, okay, we need to create an actual system, a commercial system that everyone is on the same um, path for, because you have to make sure clearly, like and Dewey Decimal, any other system, that everyone is using the same codes and going by the same establishment or else uh, it's not going to work as it scales into multiple grocery stores. So the National Association of Food Chains established the ad hoc committee for the U.S. supermarkets on grocery, uh, uniform grocery product code. Um, with the help of McKinsey & Co., Singer, the National Cash Register, Litton Industries, Fit & Bows, and IBM, uh, they're able to actually start doing that. Now, of course, at the time, IBM was on top of the world. They, you could still say so today. And they really realized that um, they had an upper hand. And that was because the patent owner, Woodland, actually still was underneath IBM's payroll. So they pulled Woodland aside and started working on their own product code uh, project on their own. And they're actually able to successfully finish that um, without the help of the, the large group and came back to the Uniform Grocery Product Code Committee and was able to present that. Now, what has that done today? Well, as soon as it was implemented, it brought at least about 70% of grocery products. Um, 70, they found at the time, actually, that 70% of grocery products uh, would have to have a barcode in order to get that true cost savings. So that's why IBM realized, okay, we need to roll this out. We need to roll this out faster as they projected that 75% of those groceries would need to be scanned and coded by 1975. So then what, two years to do so. So as IBM pushed that project out, they got it out into 200 grocery stores by the end of 1977. And in those 200 grocery stores alone, they're projected to have $40 million in savings for the grocery industry as a whole. Uh, after five weeks of a grocery store using the system, they averaged about a 12% increase in sales. Overall, the barcode scanner has brought about 41.5% ROI to any grocery store that started using it. And actually, at the time, one of the biggest technology companies to start pushing out the barcode was Zebra Technologies, hence the Zebra aspect that you see on the barcode today. And Zebra Technologies should sound really familiar, right? They're out there in the space today. They're out there automating warehouses. Uh, they're one of the uh, biggest technology leaders in the retail warehouse uh, and overall e-commerce space. 
And that is exactly where we started. It's right there in the barcode system. So uh, shout out to Norman Joseph Woodland and Bernard Silver for that awesome idea and the savings that that brought to the overall grocery market. The second one that I want to touch on, which is probably one a lot of people have heard of and one of my absolute favorites because I think it showcases how uh, IP, especially with technology, has changed over time, and that's Amazon's one-click. So in 1998, the U.S. Court of Appeals and the Federal Circuit in Street Bank versus Signature Financial Group set a new test for patentability of software. This was just at the time where software was starting to become a thing. Internet was an actual thought, uh, like uh, back in the 70s, right, with a barcode scanner. But uh, it's basically applicants could prove that their software had a tangible results, then that process could be patented, that software could be patented. Uh, and as long as that pro- process was not already in use, well, we're talking 1998. There was really no process online that was being used. And Bezos and the incredible team at Amazon caught on to that quickly. About a year later, in September 1999, they're issued their historical patent, which basically allowed customers to make a purchase with a patent that has already, or sorry, with a payment type that was already entered into the system by a user. Uh, you kind of laugh at yourself because you're like, okay, well, Pretty much every site does that today. We'll get there on how that was changed. So after receiving that patent, Amazon was confident to attack the platform now with third-party buyers and sellers, what you're used to seeing today outside of the original book website that they had. Uh, This is a historical moment for e-commerce as a whole. No one at that time had some type of database that had all the historical payments for all of their customers in one place. It it was extraordinary. Uh, So extraordinary that in 2000, Apple ended up paying $1 million to license the patent. They continued to do so for some time. uh, And at future license agreements were actually disclosed. But uh, that shows you right there how important that was. And Amazon knew their cards they held. They sued Barnes Noble uh, for it, which they settled for an undisclosed, undisclosed amount in 2002. In 2006, though, the United States Patent Trademark Office started to issue uh, re-examination of the patents. Over time, as a patent becomes common knowledge, this is something that all of your competitors are using, uh, it's actually more difficult to hold that patent. Um, sure, in 1998, no one knew of a platform that could save your historical payment info and, and just allow you to purchase something in one click. But by the time that 2006 rolled around, there was a number of companies, Apple, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, who ended up licensing it from Amazon as well, who obviously could start building that product themselves. So uh, over time, uh, Amazon did fight its way through a number of uh, back and forth uh, with the patent office. And then in 2017, the patent actually expired. And they did not attempt to re- have it regranted because they, they just knew at that time there was plenty of players out there offering that. And that's the issue with a lot of software patents today. Uh, a lot of people go after them and 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 aren't able to acquire them because the idea has been thought of in different ways. Uh, or a lot of them come to the point where they need to be regranted. Uh, and now that product or that, that software, that thought uh, behind the technology has been used widely. Uh, and that's a lot of times where the back and forth goes with patents. Now today, uh, we are uh, continuing to issue patents like no other. And I think you'd be interested at the leaders in the, sk- in the space. Uh, IBM 
actually leads the patent game for the last 29 years. They've received just last year 8,600 patents, totaling over 150,000 over the years. And a lot of them are retail focused. You wouldn't think that, but they are. In 2021, Instacart acquired over 250 of IBM's patents and actually entered into a mutual patent cross-license agreement uh, that was undisclosed as well. Uh, and of course, IBM has sued people over their patents. Uh, in 2018, they sued Groupon for $82.5 million on infringement of four of their e-commerce patents. And then, of course, settled out of that at $57 million for a long-term patent cross-license. Um, at that trial, IBM noted that Amazon, Google, Twitter, and LinkedIn have all paid for those same e-commerce patents in the past, anywhere between $20 and $50 million. And there's a lot of really fun ones out there. In March, Tom Brady in the TV 12 program filed 26 patents for ranging from food delivery to bottled water to protein bars to different retail boutiques. Walmart recently uh, actually sued BJ's Wholesale for its over um, mobile checkout patent infringement. Uh, a weird one, too, is FabFitFun, which is... Uh, the surprise box company announced at the beginning of this month it received a patent that covers an advanced way of marking down products and mitigating spoilage, a market of about $15 billion in U.S. retail. Uh, and they said this technology can be licensed by third parties to enable cost savings in addition to enhance customer service. So they get these patents because they understand the licensing agreements that will come with it. Uh, another really great one is the Ford Motor Company. Uh, I'm a real big fan of that one. Ford in general, the movements they've made technology-wise. And actually on June 16th, so just a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, uh, they received a patent that aims to give drivers the opportunity to order goods and services directly to their vehicle uh, from their vehicle. So you could be sitting in your car and you could order a uh, food outside of a restaurant and then have that come right out to you without having to actually use your cell phone. Uh, it even covers anywhere from uh, remote car washes to payment processing within that uh, vehicle to business ordering experience. And I guess the biggest thing you probably think is like, why is this important? What does it have to do? It's like, yeah, great people and companies are out there and they're, they're able to come up with great ideas. Well, I think people don't truly understand the impact that sometimes these uh, patents have. They're value, they're assets, they're worth something. Uh, in 2017, I did an article on this. Uber bought 87 issued patents and five patent applications from AT&T for an undisclosed amount in order to gain more leverage against its competitors. And it covered an array of different topics from routing network traffic, voice over internet protocol, and ride matching methods. Uh, companies and their investors have used those acquired patents as capital security to help fuel their expansion. For example, uh, Uber acquired map technology startup Decarta in 2015, and many of those patents were actually transferred as a security interest to Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley after they secured their $1.15 billion high-yield loan from the creditors. And what did they end up doing with that? Transplace. So it shows you how the actual value that you can see um, over time and, and with the idea and who holds it is, is super important. Uh, the companies that made out in the last recession actually were heavily invested in R&D during those times. And that's really why I, why I wanted to bring that up today. 
We're heading into this recession. We just had Feds come out today. Powell said today that he believes we will get interest rates to recessionary levels. And so we need people to be investing in the retailers and the companies that are actually holding the retail patents uh, in order to make it through and, 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 and make sure that we're investing our money into smart programs along the way. Number two on the uh, all U.S. companies and their U.S. patents uh, every year for, I believe, 17 years is Samsung. Uh, they were awarded the second most in 2012, and they invest in everything from robotics to semiconductors uh, to different retail technology. And according to a Wired report that recently came out, employees are actually now getting big payouts for these ideas. IBM, Apple, Samsung, um, Amazon, to name a few, are actually offering anywhere from even their entry-level employees to their executive suite employees, 500 to 4000 I even saw $10,000 payments for ideas. And I think it's just really incredible to to look at that and say, I mean, this is a different way that companies, in a time where maybe the sales aren't happening, for them to focus on that R&D, that research and development. So when that economy does flip back around, they are the ones with the most updated new technology. So we know as consumers, okay, this is where I'm going to end up putting my money. And, and trust me, there's some weird ones out there. Uh, Amazon in particular, uh, if we can pull up the picture, they have one for a flying fulfillment center, which looks super interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly how that would work. Uh, they have modular super drones, which are like uh, basically how they would work is kind of like in a Power Rangers style, where at the end of Power Rangers, they all turn into Megazord. Uh, it's the same thing there. Uh, underground delivery tubes, drone hives, uh, vehicle control, voice controlled pocket drones. So like you can just literally have them fly out your pocket. Uh, and then the weirdest one for me was the aquatic fulfillment centers, putting your fulfillment centers under the water, which talk about climate change, right? Those are some things that you really have to look into. And again, the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because we're going to this period where I think people, especially investors, are saying, you know, what retailers should I be focused on? If we're going to see consumer spending start to fall, well, who's in the background making up for that lost time? And just like we saw in 2008, 2009, there's some really heavy hitters when it comes to their research and development. Ones I would focus on in particular, IBM. They've been doing it for a long time, and it's really a big part of their business model. Samsung, I think, is a great one. Uh, We're already seeing them pull back on their orders, so they know that they're going to have to be focused on the future. Um, Thinking about semiconductors, uh, Taiwan Semiconductors is one of the uh, top five uh, U.S. patent uh, apply appliers or applicants uh, for the last year as well. So um, Walmart is starting to get, dive into it. And for anyone out there, the best thing about patents uh, is they're all open and available to the public. So if I were you and you're interested in learning more about patents and just maybe the companies that own them or what other companies are invested in, uh, Google literally has like one of the easiest uh, search engines in order to do so. Just go to Google, type in Google Patents, and it should pop up right there for you. You can search by companies. You can search by patents. Uh, and even next time, hey, you order Domino's, right? That right there, that delivery system they have actually is patented. You can see it at the bottom of uh, that delivery watch module that they sent you. So 
you know, so an area I think people need to think deeper about and look into. There's a lot of different, uh, I think, um, partnerships we're going to start see popping up, a lot of M&A action that we're going to see popping up. And when you start seeing that, and it, my, me as well as, as a journalist, check out the patents that each of those companies own. Because there's a really, really big chance that they're more than likely coming together for the type of intellectual property that each other's own. Uh, if you head to FreightWaste.com, uh, type in Gray Sharky Patents, you'll see an article that dives into a lot of freight tech uh, um, maneuvers that actually are patent-focused, uh, so you can get a better picture of that, too. Um, yeah, so that's I just wanted to explain to everyone exactly how patents work and how they've made such a huge impact on e-commerce as a whole. I think that Amazon one-click one is my absolute favorite because it really shows you how far advanced Amazon is from a number of e-commerce platform, platforms out there. If you weren't sold on Amazon yet, I really don't know at what point what will sell you at at, at least looking into investing in this company in the near future. Uh, other than that, you know, we are a, not just a TV show, a podcast that you can also catch on uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, go subscribe. But we all are also our newsletter community. So uh, make sure that you guys head to freightwaves.com slash subscribe and subscribe not just to the point of sale newsletter that we get bi-weekly, but also our other newsletters. We have some really great ones uh, now that we have a cold chain expert as well uh, and and Loaded and Rolling, of course, with Thomas and Mary O'Connell with Check Call. So make sure you guys head to, again, FreightWaves.com slash subscribe in order to sign up for those newsletters. Um, of course, I am now on uh, the radio every day, too. So you can check out my show, uh, Drive Time by Freight Waves, on the Road Dog Trucking Channel, Channel 146. And I love taking calls. I want to hear from you guys. So call into 8888-ROAD-DOG or 888-876-2336 and let us know your thoughts. Let us know what topics you want us to talk about, what you're interested in at the time. Um, and that's another point I want to make as well. You know, point of sale is a community, which means it's going to take all of your thoughts and all of us to build up this community and make it what it is. So I want to hear from you all. Head to the FreightWaves app. We have a new chat function in there. Uh, let me know what topics you'd like to hear more about. If you want me to dive more into patents, trust me, I could uh, probably keep going for another 30 minutes to an hour, if not, not longer. Uh, let us know if you want us to start diving into different warehouse automations or there's new companies that you've heard of that we haven't been able to talk about yet. I want to hear it, so make sure you hit those today. Uh, but yeah, biggest things I just wanted everyone to know about is, of course, check out the companies and the retailers that you're big fans of. Look what they're invested in for the future. If you're sitting here wondering, you know, what companies aren't going to be around here in the next year or so as we you know start figuring out this inflationary period and exactly where we could be headed with this recession, check out the ones who are really invested in the future. That's what you want to be focused on. And a big part of that future is the intellectual property that's going to be building it. Again, big ones for everyone to go check out. Go to uh, Google Patents, check out Amazon, check out IBM. Walmart's got some interesting ones. Google's got some really crazy ones when it comes to e-commerce through the vehicle, much like Ford. 
but yeah, for anyone who's out there, maybe retail investors as well, who are just starting to get into it. This is an area that I think is really important for you to focus on, do some due diligence on, um, and you know, overall, just learn a little bit more about the companies that you buy from every single day. Uh, another point I wanted to make too that we didn't get a chance to touch on uh, is that over time, a lot of these patents are starting to uh, lose their value if they aren't becoming um, individual, non-recognizable ideas. So just like Amazon with that one click, there are companies that are losing their value of their patents. So it is important to understand a patent that is being held uh, appropriately, is being used appropriately, is is being possibly used in court against other people as well, um, and those that could possibly be losing them, um, which could be a huge detriment to what they built their business on as well. Uh, again, if you check out that article I wrote, Omnitrax is one that has a big part of their value up in the air right now. So again, if you guys are going to play around in the stock market or looking to invest or figure out, okay, right, what exactly, who, who are going to be the winners of this recession and who possibly might be struggling in the future, well, check other patents. It's going to be a, an interesting ride for you. And again, subscribe to our newsletters, subscribe to this TV show or podcast wherever you're listening to. Uh, this has been Point of Sale, and I will talk to you all next week. 